0: Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us today. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for allowing us, as my brother Irvin prayed today, to even see this day. This is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for your faithfulness in all things because your word says you work all things together for they that love you and are called by your name. We thank you for the ups and the downs. We thank you for the good and the bad. We thank you for everything that you have uh, that I'll have allowed us to go through that has culminated to this point. We thank you for the word. We pray that as it comes forth, it comes forth with boldness, with power, with grace that I will step aside and you will speak. We thank you for the hearts and minds that are here. We pray, Lord, that we will not leave here the same, even myself, Lord. We pray for a fresh anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Um, Before I get started, I just want to just give a couple of remarks and thank you. Uh, I want to thank... Pastor Meeks and First Lady Meeks for the opportunity to do this and for the, for the opportunity to stand before you guys today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I want to thank you, uh, an- another thank you to the leadership team um, and ev- everyone who supports this ministry, support uh, Pastor Meeks and First Lady Meeks. And uh, for those, everyone who's a part of, you know, from the usher all the way through the greeters, whatever you may be, I just want to say thank you. Um, and it's, a, it's my pleasure to be here this morning. And as uh, Pastor said, uh, this is the season of, of Advent. Uh, and the title of my message today is called Finding Light in the Shadows. Finding Light in the Shadows. And the subtitle is called The Transformative Power of Hope. The Transformative Power of Hope. And before I get started... Um, and before we read this text and just kind of dive deeper into the text, um, something funny happened to us this week. Um, as parents, you, um, <laughs> you deal with a lot of things with, with your beautiful children. And so this week, you know, we were trying to teach our son the importance of, you know, just consequences and lessons. And so um, one of the things we did is he loves Hot Wheels, he loves Hot Wheels, and so what we decided to do is we decided to take his Hot Wheels from him to teach him the importance of consequences. And so what he did the next day was quite fascinating because we were getting ready for school, and he kept running. He's like, "Hey, Dad, how, you know, how do you spell this? How do you spell that?" And so we were like, "Okay, this is how you spell this." He's like, "Okay, thanks." And he'll run. How do you spell cars? And he he'll come back, and and I'll tell him. So. And how do you spell this? How do you spell that? And so I said, whoa, whoa, dude, what are you doing? And so he had a long list of paper, and I go over and see. He had written a letter to Santa, and he was requesting all the things that we took away from him. (laughs) So you talk about hope. That is an excellent, excellent, he has the right perspective. Let's just put it that way. And so, um, sorry, buddy. I had to. I had to do that. Um, and so, um, I wanted to start off. What is the definition of hope? What is the definition of hope? And uh, according to Merriam-Webster's uh, dictionary, hope means to expect with confidence. To expect with confidence, um, and this hope could be in someone, in something, in some place. Uh, The Greek definition of hope is the word elpis, which means expectation of what is sure to come. Expectation of what is sure to come. And so today, we live in a world where um, um, hope is in short supply. Hope is in serious short supply. All you need to do today is just turn on the news and listen to it for about 30 seconds and you will be depressed. Um, And so I try to avoid the news as much as possible. I try to... Uh, consume news in a format that I could shut it off very quickly. And so, um, but if you just listen to the news and you will quickly realize that, um, yeah, hope is in short supply. Even just thinking about the election cycle coming up, I'm just like, oh, Lord, help us. Because, um, yeah, it's only going to take God to, for us to get through that. And so, but on an individual level, people are dealing with a lot of things. Um, whether it's with marital statuses or marital issues, health issues, fear, um, financial issues, mental health challenges. People are dealing with a lot, and even you may be dealing with a lot this morning um, as, you, as you came to church. But all these things combined can cause one to lose hope and just give up, which is what Pastor Meeks was talking about. Divorce, divorce rates are at an all-time high. Suicide rates... Are at an all time high. And all these symptoms are really, all these things are a symptom of a lack of hope in those conditions, in those people's lives, in those situations. Doesn't make them um, less than, it just means there is no hope. And so it's easy to lose track and give up, so to speak. And so, but lucky for us, the message today is not about hopelessness. Is really about hope and the hope that Christ brought with his birth, Advent. And it is very cr- critical for us to understand how that translates into our lives. And so before I get started with that, I just want to give quick context on uh, the verse we're going to be reading from today or the, 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 the passage or the text today. And I believe it's very important to understand what the people were dealing with at the time. Because see, it's easy for us to like hope, You just kind of read the passage like, ah, hope, hallelujah, Jesus has come, praise the Lord, move on. But if you understand in order to appreciate the hope that they received, you have to understand what they were going through, amen? And so what I did was I, in order for, for time purposes, what I've done is I have broken down the things that they were dealing with into three major buckets. So, and the people who I'm referring to are the people at the time that Jesus was, about the time when he was born. So we're talking about the Israelites, but the people who lived around that time. So I've broken it down to three buckets. The first one is what I call political issues and complexities that they were dealing with. Uh, The second thing is, um, the second category is spiritual and moral issues. And the third category is individual personal issues. So let's deal with the political first. Now, you have to understand at this time, just before Jesus was born, um, the, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, they were under Roman oppression. And the reason why that's very critical is because it gives you the mindset. It gives you an insight into the mindset they were dealing with. They were under Roman oppression, and before that, they were also dealing with other kingdoms that had actually conquered them. So they were going through this cycle of, Freedom, no freedom. Freedom, no freedom. And so now they're under Roman oppression, and they're like, all hope is lost. They're like, God, when are you going to save us? Because, see, throughout the prophets, throughout the text, throughout Old Testament history, God was always saying, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you a Messiah. And they're sitting out there thinking, like, when is this Messiah going to come? I mean, we're under Rome. Last time we were under Greek oppression. And so they were dealing with a lot of things politically that caused them to question whether God will really come. Amen? The second thing was they were dealing with, from a political perspective, they were also dealing with oppression from the elites, their fellow elites. So think about, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There was a bifurcation in the, in the social status between them between the normal, common, average person and the elites. And so what that led to do, so, and what that, what that caused is, they believed that the elites were the ones who were to be educated. And so the average person who lived, watch this, who lived outside of Jerusalem, like Nazareth, did not have the same opportunity that the elites who lived in Jerusalem had. So this caused a lot of tension. So what does that mean? That simply means that those who were allowed to read typically actually read the text, right? They had access to the scrolls. They had access to the word of God. And watch this. They believed that if you could read the text and read the word of God, you were going to be saved. You had a better chance of being saved versus if you did not have access to the text. So what they did, what the elites did, what the Pharisees did, they kept it to themselves. And so when Jesus comes, he didn't go to Jerusalem. Where did he go? He went to Nazareth. He went to the people who had been marginalized. He went to the people who the the Pharisees, the elites had castigated and said, those are just some country folks. We don't need to deal with them. And so when Christ comes, watch this, he could have easily gone to Jerusalem. He could have easily um, been born to a, a, a group of elites in Jerusalem. But he says, no. He says, I'm going to go to Nazareth. I'm going to go to the far parts of the country. So when the Pharisees hear Jesus is coming, they say, what good can come out of Nazareth? That's some country folk. They're like, man, what can ever come out of there? That place is in the ghetto, in the country, whatever, you, whatever negative connotation you want to put, that's what they identify with those people. And so there was this belief that only this intellectuals could access the kingdom of God. So no one cared for them. They were hopeless. And on a spiritual and moral level, see, God hadn't spoken in 400 years. So there was no voice of God. People were just kind of doing their own thing. And then so the average person was, you know, mildly religious. They, they you know, they, they, they followed the law. But sin and immorality were very rampant because the Jewish leaders will never go over to out there. They're like, we ain't going out there. Them people crazy. And so, as a result, the people felt marginalized, and so they were like, well, we're just going to do what we need to do. Now, some of them were who actually practiced the law. They did it out of fear, which is why Paul, when he wrote the New Testament, especially in Romans, he talks about this whole idea of now you are no longer subject to a spirit of bondage a spirit of fear. And what Paul was referring to was in the Old Testament, they will actually carry out the customs of the Old Testament out of fear that God would to strike them dead. Because the Old Testament said that if you live by the law, you, you will also die by the law, meaning everything in the law has to be obeyed 100% unless you will die. And so the people were kind of scared, and they were like, well, I don't know if the person I looked at or what I did last time, maybe God was okay with that, so they worship God not out of a relationship, they worship God out of fear. Matthew 4:15 to16 says that the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, talking about the out there part, it says. The people living in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It's talking about Jesus. So those who observed the law didn't fear. And on a personal and individual level, um, (laughs) there was a lot going on. There was a lot of sickness. That's why you read in the Bible, Jesus always dealing with sickness and paralysis and and, and all this depression, physical ailments, psychological uh, uh, um, issues, demon possessions was very rampant because, again, the people were left to their own vices in the dark. So all these pressing issues caused the people to ask, will God save us? And if so, when? Now, we're not talking about the people who are having it, living it up in the big city in Jerusalem. They were good. They were like, we're saved. We don't know what you're talking about. And watch this. That's why Jesus had a fundamental issue with them. Because he says, you think you're going to be, you think you're saved because you have access to all these things. But how about the people over there? What are you doing for them? And so that's why you see Jesus go back and forth with them. Jesus was like, man, these people ain't serious. They ain't ready. Because the assumption was we are saved because of all the trappings that we have. But Jesus' ministry was not to those people. Jesus' ministry was to the people on the outside. That's why he was born in, watch this, in Nazareth. The same place that the people said, what good can come out of Nazareth? And so while all of this is reaching a boiling point, all of this is happening in history. That's why I, I wanted to take the time to f- so you fully understand the mindset of the people. Because sometimes it's easy for us to use our mindsets like, well, hallelujah, Jesus came, praise the Lord. But these people, were, they were dealing with a lot of stuff. And so while all of this is happening, is reaching a boiling point, an angel appears to Mary to tell her about the birth of Christ through her. So just in time when all hope was lost, When the people thought God had given up or God was delaying, God shows up on the scene. That's where we pick up in verse 26. Let me just read it in your hearing. Now, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel says, "Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you." Verse twenty-nine. But she was greatly perplexed at what he said and kept carefully considering what kind of greeting is this. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen carefully. You will conceive a son. In you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Jesus." He will be great and eminent and will be called the son of the most high God. And the the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin and have no intimacy with any man. Then the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you like a cloud. For that reason, the holy, pure, sinless child shall be called the son of God. And listen, even your relatives, Elizabeth, who also has also conceived a son in her old age, and she was born, called barren and is now in her sixth month. Watch this. For with God, nothing is ever shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word and according, and the angel left her. Amen. Now, I want to leave you with three points today. I want to I leave you with three points to consider As you think about hope in your relationship with Christ, especially while navigating difficult circumstances. Let me repeat that. I want to to leave you three points to consider as you think about your relationship with Christ, how hope interacts with that relationship, um, and especially while navigating difficult circumstances. Number one, God always has a plan. God always has a plan. Let me me rephrase that. God always has a plan for you. See, in verse 28, we see he comes and he says, and coming to her, that is the angel, the angel came to her for a reason. The angel came to Mary for a reason, to reveal the plan. He says, and coming to her, he says, greetings, favored one. I'm sure she was like, greetings? Who are you talking to? Me? Favored one? How, how, How am I favored? Now, one thing we don't realize is that Mary was probably 14, 15 at the time, because in Jewish culture, it was, it was you know, the, the women married very early. So, you have little old me, 14, 15, teenager, let's just call it what it is, and then you have an angel appear before you and say, greetings, favored one. She's like, ah, that's a bit much. Let's tone it down a bit. And so, but he comes to reveal the plan to her. And he says, verse, verse 30 says, for you have found favor with God. And that is essentially saying, I'm about to give you God's plan. You've read about it. You know about it. Now I'm about to reveal it to you. And then he says, verse 31, listen carefully. You will have, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son and you shall call him Jesus. Now, this is very interesting. Because, see, the word Jesus, we say the word Jesus, the word Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Or you can personalize it, the Lord is my salvation. So God is the angel is releasing the plan of salvation that he had already preordained from Genesis 3. Watch this. Genesis 3, when the snake did what he did with the Garden of Eden, and he thought he was, <laughs> he was playing checkers while God was playing chess the whole time. And God said, I will send, us, I will send a person who will, he said, he will stamp on your head. But it took thousands and thousands of years for that to play out through history. So even the devil didn't know when Jesus was coming. He knew it was coming, he just didn't know what time it was coming. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and, 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 and But before he shows up on the scene, he's giving Mary the plan. He's like, listen, you, you know that Jesus has shown up, but it's going to be through you. And so if, I, if it were me, I'd be like, wait, say, sorry, say what now? <laughs> say, and so God's promise to save mankind, he, he had a plan all along. He had a plan all along. Uh, he knew salvation the, the, <laughs> in order to fix the mess in the Garden of Eden. He had to send another Adam, right? And that other Adam had to come through the line of David. So he said, I'm ready to fix the mess. And you are the one who is going to birth him. And so the time had come. They had waited thousands and thousands of years for this to happen. She probably, Mary, I believe Mary was one of those um, people who um, believed in the word deeply because as you'll find out, God just doesn't show up to anybody to show up to give his plan. He shows up to people who keep close to His will. I'll get there in a second. So now now how <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Meeks wants me to preach? He wants me to go down that right um, but why? why? Some of you may be asking, so you know I've been coming to church for a while. I think people, it's easy for us to say, you know, I'm a believer. I've been doing this for for, a really long time. Um, But how did the birth of Christ, how did the birth of Christ bring hope to those people? And how does that bring hope to you and I? So the birth of Christ, not just the birth of Christ, but his death. And his resurrection, because you have to <laughs> you have to add his resurrection, the, but the birth was the beginning. The resurrection was also the beginning of the beginning. But his resurrection, watch this, allowed him to do a few things that I want to cover because it's a whole different sermon. It's called uh, Soteri- Soteriology, Salvation. But I'm not going to get into that right now. But I just want to give you a few things for you to ponder. Number one. It released us and it released them from the captivity and the bondage of Satan. I mentioned earlier that the people were dealing with a lot. There was a lot of demon possession. There was a lot of sickness at the time, Jesus. That's why you see there was a story where Jesus walks up to the man and the, the madman's like, ah, Jesus, what do you have to do with us?" What he was saying is, what are you doing here? This is my domain. And so Jesus showing up, they know. uh Uh-oh, time's up. It was good while it lasted, but man, this Jesus guy—he's here for real. And so the second thing it did is it released us. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection released us from the penalty of the law, and from the law itself. See, remember, I told you the reason why I set that up at the beginning is for you to understand. They were dealing, they were going to church, (laughs) but didn't have a relationship with God. They were just kind of going through the motions of like, all right, well, we got to get 20 goats. We got to kill 20 chickens. We got to take it to the temple. Right, then we got to do it again tomorrow. I don't know about you, but that's exhausting. First of all, how many goats do I want to raise in my farm? I mean, that's just a lot. But Jesus comes and he says, eh, you don't have to worry about that. They were like, say what? <laughs> say what? I don't have to do that. Because it's costly. <laughs> I mean, it's very expensive to live that life of sacrifice and having to do that on a daily basis. And Jesus comes and says, no, nah, you don't have to do that. I've taken care of it. The other thing is that he's birth, death, and resurrection released us from the guilt of sin and the power of sin. Two different things. We always say sin, sin. Yeah, actually, it's two different things. There's the guilt of sin. And there's the power of sin. The guilt of sin is when you do something wrong, it's like, uh, yeah, I feel bad about it. But watch this. There's no amount of goats or chickens that you will kill that will wash the guilt of sin away. The people knew that. They're like, man, we're doing all this stuff, but hey, something about me just feels the same. That's what Paul talks about in the New Testament. He said, you know what? <laughs> When I was a Pharisee, I was Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the most studious Pharisee you could ever find. But he said, there's just something about even when I was living that life that was just, it didn't quite click for me. And so when he discovered the power of the cross, he was like, ah, I found the solution. The people were dealing with the same thing. And the other piece of that is Jesus came to restore us to a right relationship with God. See, remember, when they went to church, they just went to church because their parents told them to go to church. They were forced by a friend. They are like, well, if I don't show up, Pastor Meeks is going to ask for me. But Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. That's not why you come to church. You don't come to church because Pastor Meeks is going to call you afterwards. You come to church because to develop a relationship. So how does that give you hope? I'm going to go fast. How does that give you hope? It gives us hope because no matter what the circumstance, no matter what trial, no matter, no matter what pressure you're facing, we know that we serve a God that loves us deeply, watch this, and has a plan for our lives to get you through, watch this, not away from the problem, <laughs> because I don't know about you, sometimes when there's a problem, I just want to run away. I'm like, "Mm, I'm good. (laughs) Beeline. But it gives us hope because we understand that, watch, see, let me go there. That's the difference between you as a believer, between you as a believer and unbelievers. You have hope. They don't. That's the fundamental difference. So, when they go through stuff, Then they result to alcohol, all kinds of things that fills you for a short while, but then the effects of it dissipates. But you have a different feeling, and that feeling is Jesus Christ. And then he comes inside of you, and he fills you up in a way that no other worldly thing can. So God has a plan for you. Even when you don't see the plan, that plan should spark hope in us. The second second thing, I'm going to go real quick. God's plan is always detailed and beyond our wildest imagination. His plan is always detailed and beyond our wildest imagination. See, watch this. This is how I know God's plan was detailed. Of all the times in history, God could have picked any time for Jesus to come. But he picked that moment. The reason why he picked that moment is this. Watch this the Romans were the inventors of crucifixion. That whole cross situation, yes, they invented it. And researchers, academics all agree that that was the most cruel form of punishment you can ever administer in anybody. And God says, hmm, Jesus, pack your bags, it's time to go. And so he waits until that Roman era that subjugation era, and they've invented the the, the cross. They perfected it, actually, because first it was just one log. But then they said, huh, we have a better idea. It's actually going to be two. And then the vertical, and God says, that is the perfect thing that I need for Jesus Christ to come. So that, watch this, when he goes on the cross, there will be no doubt that he died. There will be no doubt that the pain he suffered, so people can't come and question, like, did he die? I mean, people still try to do it today, but it's like, you get on the cross and see what happens to you. And so he picks that moment in history, and he says, I've ordained all these things from the beginning, but I have a plan that is so detailed that I'm going to pick the moment in time when the, when the cross has been perfected, and I'm going to send him so that when he is in pain... <laughs> He can say yes, I did it all. I left it on the field. And watch this. He said he also said when he sends Jesus, he sends John the Baptist first. Jesus didn't show up and say, everybody repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He sends John the Baptist first for a reason, because John the Baptist had to prepare the hearts and minds of the people. So that's another nugget of detail. Another nugget of detail is that he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He wasn't born into a privileged family. He understands that they were already thinking that the Messiah was going to come through the privileged family, and then he shows up in the countryside. These are details that is easy to miss if you just read past it and say, well, hope. Hope. So how does this give you hope? It gives us confidence as believers that we serve a God that not only has a plan for our lives, but he has thought through every detail, every combination, every situation. Some of you, some of us here today, uh, People have written you off. You have given up hope because you felt like or you feel like God cannot use you. You don't want to know my story. (laughs) You feel like your case is so far gone that God could never be interested in working with someone like you. Well, that's a lie. The passage reminds us that he cares and is very interested in the details of your life. This gives us hope. And the last thing is that God's plan is always on time, and it never fails. But it requires your involvement. His plan is never on time. See, the people at the time, as I mentioned, they were facing a period of uncertainty. Some of them had completely given them hope that the Messiah is coming. And the angel shows up and says, greetings, favored one. Well, the word favored means God's grace has come to you. God's grace has come through you. And so Mary is sitting there. She's like, everything going on in my life? You talking about favored? I don't know about this. And some of you may be thinking the same thing, the same thing today. But despite everything that was going on in the political system, in the, um, in the um, a spiritual system, in her personal life, Mary made herself available to God. As a result, what seemed like a delay ended up being right on time. So Mary was available to be used by God. And, and how do we know she said that in verse 38? The very verse, the very final verse, he says, Behold, this is Mary speaking. That Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left her. Watch this. Even with everything that she was dealing with, she said, well, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. Like Pastor Meeks always says about the HVAC system. And, and I, you know, like, like when he says it, I'm like, man, he says something powerful that we, we, they just skips over our head. He's like, I don't know how God is going to do it, but he's going to do it. Because what he's really trying to say is that, Lord, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm going to be available for you when it does happen. And so what Mary's saying is that, okay, <laughs> I can't make sense of it. This doesn't make any sense. I'm a virgin. You say I'm going to be pregnant. Sure. Let it be done. Another, way, another thing she was saying is that, Lord, I don't know how this situation is going to rectify itself, but you figure it out. I just need to be available for you to use me in a powerful way. How does this give us hope? In times of trials, you can be assured that as long as you make yourself available to God's will, his plan, his promises for you will always come to pass no matter the situation. It allows us to view uh, (laughs) the situation from a very different point. And I'm wrapping up. In Colossians, I believe it says, set your mind on the things above. The word set your mind means to recalibrate how you view that situation and not look at it for what it is. Yes, that person may be annoying you. Yes, they may have said something negative about you. But if you recalibrate your mind from a spiritual perspective, what happens and you set your hope on Christ, what happens now is you start to see things in how God sees it. Mary didn't know what God was going to do. She was like, well, let it be done. I'm not going to put myself in the seat of God and try to understand how God is going to do the jujitsu to make it happen. I'm just going to say, all right, Lord, yes. My experience this week um, at work, someone asked asking me, how was your week? I said, man, it was rough. It was rough. And so <laughs> this is how God works. I'm in the middle of writing this, my notes for this week. And uh, Wednesday, Thursday, God changes the entire message. I was almost done, about 90% done, 90%. And God was like, nope, you're not going to do that. (laughs) It's great. So where's this going to come from? And he brings me a situation at work. And while I'm doing it, I say, I get it. I was livid. My wife had to talk me off the ledge. She was like, It's okay, calm down. Even my kids are like, Dad, you okay? So, God, everything I just shared with you, watch this, everything I just shared with you, God gave me each point to remind me number one, I have a plan. Don't worry about that. I have a plan. Is your hope centered on that situation or is your hope centered on me? So I was like, okay, sorry, Lord, sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right, you're right, you're right. Focus on me. I have a plan. I have a plan for you. And, 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 so, and so he goes and he continues to say that, that, that my plan is always detailed, irrespective of man's agenda. My plan is always detailed and it's not always what you think. And then he says, and then he says, and then he says this, and he says, my plan never fails, and is always on time. And so after that, I had to sit there, and it's like, oh, OK, Lord. Now, I want to strangle them, but it's OK, because I understand now what God is trying to do. And it's the same thing these people were dealing with. And that's when, when hope shows up in your life. It changes your mindset from ah, to like, OK. Okay, I could do this. I don't have to run away. I don't have to go the other direction. I can do this. So I leave you with this. What is your hope placed on? Who is your hope placed on? Where is your hope placed? Is it your career? Is it your image? Is it money? Is it other people? Or is it Jesus? And if it is Jesus, ask yourself why. Why? Because I think sometimes, oh, you know, I love the Lord. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm." Yeah, sure. What does that mean? Have you reconciled the hope of salvation? Have you reconciled what it truly means to serve God? Have you, watch this, have you reconciled why he came? So that if you have fully, what did Jesus do? And have I fully reconciled and placed my hope in him? So that when things go south, because it will go south. I am not moved I can wait expectantly for him knowing that he's the hope of my salvation amen amen